you'd never know if you don't take the time to sit and listen or, or read an article. But Ohio, from a business and tax perspective, especially at the Ohio Society of CPAs, is not only playing in Ohio. I mean, they really are and do have a national presence. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to Episode 8, and my guest today is Owen Wiss, who's the financial controller at Thompson Concrete Construction. Owen can be described by a quote he gave in a recent AICPA article titled, Tired of Getting After Hours Work Email? Owen stated, Given the fact that my company does pay for me to have the ability to access my email on my smartphone, I believe they expect me to be available in an emergency or in order not to delay a project or task, especially since we operate globally. Now, most young CPAs don't feel that way, and that is what makes Owen a great leader. Owen embraces the essence of leadership, and he currently sits on two association boards and chairing a committee on another one. Owen is able to manage his time effectively between his job, his volunteer work with the associations, and he does have a wife and a daughter, and his daughter's not even two years old. So our conversation does touch on his role as a financial controller, his volunteer time, and his family time. I think you'll find this conversation between Owen and I to be very interesting, and he is very inspiring. A quick announcement before we get to the interview. My new book, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, Explaining and Presenting Financial Information with Confidence and Clarity, is available for purchase on Amazon.com. If you'd like to learn more about the book, go to Taking the numb out of numbersbook.com to learn more. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Owen Wiss. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today my guest is Owen Wiss, and Owen and I go back a number of years, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Owen. I think at one time when you were on the Ohio Society of CPAs young CPA board or on the, on the committee, I think I was your mentor at one time. Is that, is that correct? That's, that is correct. Uh, actually, I still tell my wife to this day that when we're you know, meeting up for after work for a drink or, or an appetizer that uh, still consider you a mentor, regardless of whether the official designation is now gone. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And, and I will have to say when I, when I remembered that, I went, holy cow. Look what he's done in his career. We definitely go. <laughs> we definitely go back further than that, though. Uh, all the way, I think, to the 
first year oh. of my career when my employer at the time brought you in for uh, one of your one of your seminars. Ah, uh, yes, you were with Patel and Patel at the time, and that's when I did my humor at work presentation, and that was the time when I said something like, you know, when you laugh. It has it has physical benefits because it releases the endorphins. You know the endorphins, those crazy fish that swim through your bloodstream and help you fight stress, anxiety, and depression. There were five folks who, on my evaluation, came back with Mr. Margaritas. Dolphins are mammals, not fish. A little, <laughs> and in and in that group at that day, that's not all that surprising. <laughs> I tell that story a lot, but I forgot about that. Yeah, you were we met when you were at Patel and Patel, but I, I I'm amazed uh, how your career has evolved since the first time we met many years ago. And if you could give the folks, the audience, a little bit about your background, how where you started, and and, and what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. My background you know, after graduating from Wright State uh, started out in public accounting and really remained there for nine years at two different firms, Patel and Patel and Dayton, and then uh, Crow here in Columbus, where I'm at now. Primarily focused on uh, auditing, uh, manufacturing, distribution clients, as simply stated. Uh, from there, I moved on to uh, a role for four years in a manufacturing plant here in uh, Columbus. Uh, Diamond Innovations, then known as Sandvik Hyperion, went through several evolutions, but ultimately they pressed Diamond for uh, use in tools. Uh, didn't actually make the tools, but pressed the Diamond right here in Columbus and then sent it out to the tool makers. And I spent four years there uh, working on mainly, it was a controller role, uh, mainly focused on the financial side or finance side, I guess I should say. Uh, related to budgeting, forecasting, and, and assessing results against that, reporting up to our executive management team. Wasn't a whole lot of place to go there based on growth and thought it was time to make another move and have uh, moved over to uh, Thompson Concrete now, a, a family-owned uh, concrete excavation construction company located just south of town, serving really all of central Ohio and recently expanding a small operation into Louisville, Kentucky. Here, I call myself a, a hands-on CFO without the title, Titles Financial Controller, uh, but I'd say that I do about anything and everything other than my job description originally thought I was going to do. Uh, from anywhere from anywhere from finance and accounting on you know 20 to 40 percent of the job to responsibility for HR benefits, IT contract <laughs> review, uh, you name it. It has really become a, a jack of all trades and couldn't say more about the learning experience over just over a little over three years now, an opportunity to learn more than I ever thought possible in a three-year period with, with lots and lots more to go. You just described every CFO that I've come across, what they do. And I always hear HR and IT usually somewhere in that sentence of the responsibilities that they have. But just, I forgot that you were at Crow, which jarred my memory. I had lunch with Andrea Minardi a few weeks ago and we were talking about you. All good. But I just wanted to let you know she said hello. <laughs> well, I would. I hope she would say that because she recently took over our four hundred one k audit. So if she's bad mouthing me, we've got something to talk about. <laughs> no, it was all good, my friend. It was all good. The question I I want to ask is, what made you, or why did you become an accountant? 
unfortunately, I can't give a great answer. Uh, <laughs> I will say that it was dumb luck. Uh, there was there's no accounting in my background. There's really uh, no business in my background. I, mean, I come from a family of farmers out in the country. My mom was an underwriter in insurance for 45 years, and the dumb luck really came down to, at some point, I can't even remember, my junior or senior year in the high school curriculum, I saw an accounting class. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but I thought might be something good to know when I get out in the world. And that class had a great teacher, and it just stuck. It felt like something I was really good at. And so when I went to college, it, it was definitely something I thought, there's a real opportunity here. But my dad did have somewhat of an engineering background. So I was balancing between the two. And I will say, um, to my luck, I think I chose the right way. I ended up uh, declaring a designation or, or a major in accounting uh, while I was at Wright State. Did you have Maggie Houston as a, as a professor? Absolutely. First class, first year. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> one of one of the greats. I hope she listens to this and, and gets a chance to hear that. But I will tell you, uh, Wright State was definitely unappreciated for its accounting program. Whether it be uh, Maggie Houston or Dr. John Talbot, uh, just some great professors I had while I was down there. Uh, really drove me to want to excel in this profession. Well, it started with that high school professor, the teacher who was a good teacher, got raised your interest. And then if your first accounting class is with Maggie, you're hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, she's a great lady. I haven't seen her in, in, in a few years, but I hope she is listening because, I mean, she's dynamite in the classroom. She's dynamite outside the classroom. She's got so much energy. She's, she's just a, a really wonderful person. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So you kind of fell into this from, from just kind of stepped into it, but Man, when you step into something, you built something with it. I mean, thinking about your career and, and how you've embraced the profession, how you've embraced your role. But I have to ask this question uh, because knowing CPAs, we don't, we work a lot. We, we have a lot of responsibilities. We never retire, but we, we get sleepless nights. So what, what keeps you up at night other than your 16 month old child? <laughs> and I actually, I will tell you, she's been a great sleeper since 10 weeks. So hopefully there's no one listening to me uh, that is very jealous or hates me for having said <laughs> that. But my wife figured out a trick somewhere in there and she's been a great sleeper since then. Uh, you know, I would say it's nothing on an overall professional basis or even personally. It's really where I'm at now. Uh, I found a very interesting uh, industry when I entered construction. Uh, it, it really is. It's a different world. And a lot of people, when they're interviewing an accountant for construction, figure that uh, nobody can nobody can figure out the debits and credits. They're still debits and credits. That's, that is a, that's just a given. Anyone can pick it up that's got a good accounting background. But it's a different world from the perspective that it's it's a different way of doing business. Um, there's a, not a lot of planning. There is a lot of that's always the way we've done it. Oh. And, you know, those are the things that keep me up at night. And, and it's a very, to me, antiquated and fragmented um, industry. And, and actually, I, I stole that from an article that I can't give accurate credit to that I read a day or two ago. Um, that, that really needs to adapt. And so I'd say what keeps me up at night is trying to 
help our leadership be on the cutting edge of adapting. And that is, that's a hard road to tell. It is, it, it's difficult, uh, you know, especially in this environment where there are contracts galore and we're trying to make sure we're picking the right ones. You know, change is, is, is tough to get behind when you're operating as lean as we do. And there's so many, so much opportunity out there. Wow, I wasn't expecting that, but that's that's interesting that that you bring that up because construction. I have very little background in it. I, I used to lend to it, but it is a different world. And but you said the word leadership, and you used it in a broad sense. So you weren't more or less talking about the leadership within your organization. You were talking about the leadership within the construction financial arena. Both, uh, you know, not only within our organization, you know, realizing that. You know, we there's some there's some bad things that there's possible bad things ahead that we need to to avoid in our own company, uh, but also then being part of several different organizations and you going back to that fragmented way of doing business. Just the whole the whole owner contractor subcontractor creates so many different self interests in the way that construction is is done or the way that things are built uh, that. I feel like we've got to find a way to to start to align the best interests of all if construction is going to be a successful industry into the future where we expect to keep cutting costs of, of building. Wow, yeah. You said self-interest. And yes, construction has always kind of been more on the self-interest side. And to get, to get them to adapt to a much more bigger picture um, will be a, a, a huge undertaking. And it sounds like to me, there well let me ask a, let me ask it a different way has there been some movement uh in in adapting to a newer way or is it still pretty much this is the way we've always done it i feel i would say the majority of the industry is still this is the way we've always done it but i i am receiving some feedback from the field Related to some of the some of the GCs, some of the experienced general contractors that we are finding ourselves working with, are really making an effort. And the one that sticks out to me uh, is Turner Construction, who seems to really be pull, pushing down lean manufacturing ideas into the way that they construct, and and that I appreciate. You know, it's, it's kind of I've been talking to our guys, our leadership here locally, just about. The, the Toyota way and Honda way a lot and how they worked with their manufacturers and subcontractors that weren't weren't within their own plants and and really forced down their ways to realize better margins and, and more profitability and I think that Turner's kind of taking that on from a construction perspective and in, in with the ideas of lean and we're trying to start adopting some of that ourselves I I, I think that's just a small piece though as I, I believe it is important though that the owners, GCs, and 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 subcontractors, and then even sub subcontractors and suppliers start to find a better way to align their interests. It's not all going to come from lean manufacturing ideas. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. There's a thought process that I was just exposed to about a couple months ago from a gentleman who's a National Speakers Association, and he, and he works at IBM. And it's, have you heard of this called design thinking? No, it's and I, I will butcher this. So, but the concept is, you know, as as a manufacturer of something, I build this, you buy it, and then you're not part of that 
input to me, you're the consumer. Well, design thinking is going to the point where the, the, the organization is partnering with the customer and helping to design the product that meets their needs to eliminate a lot of errors. A lot of, you know, when you implement an SAP system, somebody goes, okay, there's going to be, this is not going to run smoothly. There's going to be some type of interruption. There's, there's always something like that with an ERP system, which stands for Entities Reoccurring Problem. But with design thinking, it kind of it, it eliminates that because they're partnering with their major customers and helping to design what they need versus we've got our engineers. We think we know what you need. This is what we're going to build it. But a lot of times it doesn't work properly for a while. And interesting that you say that because I, I would maybe from that perspective, construction might actually be a little bit of out, out front given the fact that the owners go in with an idea of what they need and, and work with the GCs and design people to figure that out. I think it's that it's a little bit more of the actual process of getting it built that needs to come a long way, whereas I think manufacturing is out in front on that piece and then needs to get more involved in the design piece. Okay, so it sounds like so it's with the subs that seems to be the issue from the GC and the subs getting that that done smoothly and efficiently and on time and and under budget? I think that... (laughs) Wow, you're asking me to dig into the details here. No, just for Uh, a second. I'm just just curious. (laughs) It it is. It is a function, I think, of all three that you just mentioned. I mean, they're pushing... Owners are pushing margins lower and then, you know, which obviously should drive the general contractors to push costs lower which ultimately should drive the subcontractors to push costs lower. But I believe what you're seeing is just shrinking margins because there's not a there's not a great effort to look at how we can make construction more efficient. And I like I said, I kind of go keep going back to, but I think there are some GCs out there who see major opportunities with, with lean thought processes to do that and and are trying to work with some of their closer general contractors to do or and subcontractors to do the same. Cool. Well, that's that's interesting. I'm, I'm like I said, I've got a limited. I'd have to be a little bit dangerous. I haven't been able to get rid of that memory of lending back in the well, just way back in the time, but still, <laughs> but, still but still have some of that floating around. So that's what, what kind of I was really kind of curious about that. I'm going to change gears for for a bit. The one thing that that I, I'm so happy that you're doing, and I'm really envious of of you and how you've approached this, is you find it very important to give your time back to the profession and to the community. And I'd like for you to talk about that because you're currently vice chair of finance for the Ohio Society of CPAs. You've been on the board of uh, JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. You're currently also on the board of the Construction Financial Management Association. Am I am I forgetting anything? Not that there were a, a few uh, earlier in my career, a few uh, young or you know young CPA, young leadership boards that I, I participated in around um, the state and Columbus for that matter. But other than that, no, not at all. Uh, not that I'm trying to fill any gaps either there. But you know, it was it really started off as 
and it's it's interesting because I hate to say that it was it was never meant to be giving back, but it really did start off at Battelle and Battelle and Dayton, where they were very connected to a charitable organization. Um, J, and, you know, for that matter, JDRF. Uh, they had a a corporate bond with that organization, and you know, therefore, it was easy to get involved because mm-hmm. it was being driven from the top, and it was just a great chance to network and and get out and do something, but. It became more than that, you know. It really you you go and you hear the stories, and it it became much more of a connection outside of outside of the networking networking and getting my own name out in the community. So it really stuck. And when I moved to Columbus, actually, I passed up a chance to be more intimately involved uh, with the board in at the Dayton chapter. But I still wanted to continue that connection, even though where I was moving to. Had no connection with that organization. It was important for me to maintain that. You know, it really was finding something that you're passionate about, and I stick with it to this day. It did the did the board stint, and now I'm, I'm co-chairing their their annual walk here in Columbus, and it's just something you know I've become passionate about, and, and has given me not only my passion about it and continue to do it. I've also met some amazing people uh, around this city because of those connections. So. It, I encourage first for everybody to find something they're passionate about and second to find an organization that aligns with them and, and realize that what will come of that are some some great friendships, some great networking opportunities and business connections. And then, you know, the, the connections with the Ohio Society that and and with CFMA, Construction Financial Management Association, those have both been driven from my professional relationships and just you find some really, really great and passionate people when you are working on in organizations like that. People who want to drive change in industry. And it's just a great opportunity to meet passionate people and other successful people in their in their profession and, and get a feel for how they got to where they're at now, which is where I'm aspiring to go in the next 20 or 30 years. So it's it's I can't encourage it more. It is a drain sometimes on on personal life, and I shouldn't call it a drain. It does take away from from being able to be at home or even sometimes at work. You know, as there are during the day meetings, but it's delivered tenfold back to me. Um, not only for how I interact daily at work, but also how I interact at home. So, just so the audience knows, well, let's go back to JDR for a moment. Mm-hmm. You're very passionate about this organization, but you're not a diabetic. That is correct. I'm not. And, um, but I'll tell you what: you hang around, you hang around some people at that organization who are diabetics and who are passionate, and it's hard not to feel the same way they do. Uh, yes, and, and obviously, being a diabetic, I, I, I tip my hat uh, to you because I, I, I applaud the, the work that you're doing at, at JDRF and have done at JDRF. And I've met some folks at JDRF. I've met some of the doctors uh, whose children have had diabetes, and they, they do a lot of work at JDRF. Um, and that's another organization. That's kind of how I didn't realize you, you had posted something on Facebook. It was around the Super Bowl or something. Tickets. It was to JDRF, and you were the one who introduced me. Who was the executive director, Kathy Passion, at the time? And I went and talked to Kathy and wanted to volunteer. And then she moved to the Columbus, uh, Ohio Central Ohio Diabetes Association. 
And uh, we've talked about this. Um, uh, honey, my wife, if you listen to this, please turn it off because you're going to get really upset with me. But I'm, I, like I told you, I would still like to do help something at, at JDRF as I do uh, at the Central Ohio Diabetes Association. So I'm just going to put that out there. And it's recorded, so it can't be taken back. And I know you can't make it happen. Like I said, I, and, and hit me up here soon. Uh, we, we'll get, we need to get together for another after work appetizer. And... Uh, uh, talk about potential opportunities over there. But Absolutely. Would you, but you've been on the board for how many years now at the Ohio Society? I believe I just entered my fifth and final. And I, when I say final, I mean final, and then I do have to roll off for a period of time. But uh, that's going to be tough. Uh, I've made some great, <laughs> great relationships there. And it's going to be, it'll actually be quite a system shock to not be able to catch up with some of those some of those board fellow board members uh, at least quarterly for an all day meeting and then at our annual retreat. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a shock, um, but it, that, you know that just that's also a teaching opportunity for myself. And that I realize that I've got to make sure, even if we were not assigned to be together, that I continue to reach out and stay in contact with them, which sometimes personally can be tough for me. It's um, and you had a very unique time on the board because I believe when you first started, wasn't didn't Clark Price had retired and Scott had just come on as a new CEO? I believe I was became a board member in Scott's second year okay. as CEO. So Clark was transitioned out, but you know that was it's it's been a five it's been a five year string that I can't wait to talk more about uh, when the opportunity allows and I shouldn't say not that I can't but just that it hasn't been you know, you know I don't get a whole lot of interest from my friends who aren't accountants to talk about this but <laughs> it's been so interesting to to watch an organization try and fight through the supposed dying membership model and and pick a strategy that will help sur- help the organization survive for years. And I, I will be able to use things I've learned in this five years throughout every piece of my life, primarily in business, but, I, but I'm sure in many things. Yeah, you, you, you've, you've had to, you know, being on the board for as long as you have, it's a wonderful experience. I, I remember when I first was on the board, I thought it was the coolest thing because they really didn't talk technical accounting. They were talking about the big picture things. And, I, and at the time, it was all about IFRS and was it going to happen and, and some things about peer review and, and, and looking at the profession you know, five years ahead and, and, and realizing, God, it's, we're five years there. And yeah, a lot of this did happen. Some of it didn't. But it's, it's yeah, you're going to miss being that connected. Trust me. When, 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 I, when, I, when I rolled off uh, the chairs, uh, I was off of all communication and, and I was going through withdrawals. I was shaking, you know, was foaming at the mouth at times because you were, you're so connected and you're in the know, then all of a sudden you know nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I will say that that's probably a little bit of it too, is, is trying to figure out, yeah, I'm so passionate about the mission now in in navigating this this dying membership model that uh, it's going to be hard to not be in the know and and not even the decision making part of it or helping the organization make decisions but just being out of the loop and I don't it, it'll be hard to figure out how to get back stay in that loop even if it is on the edge. 
can you talk about anything about this uh, this dying membership model and, and the approach that the Ohio Society is doing, or is it still at board level and hasn't trickled out to the general public? No, I absolutely. I can absolutely talk about it, um, and it, it is still very much uh, a an evolving process. At first. It would be my contention, and I, you know, I'm sure that the the society could summarize this much better than I will. But I'll give my take on it here. Um, you know, at first it was the first evolution. I think was to experiment outside the membership model with an organizational membership model, and we've learned a lot from that. And that is still something that we are pushing forward on. Maybe not quite as we did on day one, but still today, just with some tweaks to the plan. And then, you know, I think the other big change and evolution that we're going through, and this is still, this is going to take years to perfect, uh, if ever perfected, I guess I should say, is moving from a place where we deemed what learning that accountants in Ohio and beyond needed to a place where we're working and consulting with organizations on their training needs and trying to bring solutions to them. And so I think from that perspective, maybe both things I'm saying, you can kind of hear us getting moving slightly away from a membership model and even more towards maybe an industry or business model. Um, And, you know, we're still so early it's hard to tell whether we've achieved success because this organ at this point in time the organization still is very largely based on individual membership so we're really trying to turn that slide around and, and hoping that we see that slide uh, reverse course here shortly maybe even the next 12 months oh, that's yeah, that membership model um, yeah too that's that's a big battleship to turn on a dime uh, to to move away from that, even though that membership model it, it's anymore. It's like how do you engage the younger generation to join, to be a part and, of? And and you're absolutely right. I mean, it is. You know, we talk about we've talked about my involvement from a board level, and and I'll even extend this into a membership level. You know, I, and I, I, w- I won't get into naming generations. I will say I'm one year out of what is considered a millennial. So, you know, many people probably would still want me in there. Um, not that I think that that, but they need designated names. Uh, but, you know, just even talking about the friends that I hang out with every day, who many of them are outside of this profession. And really, it, it enlightens me as to why the Ohio Society is not the only organization having membership trouble. It's the younger generations really, it's not something that they, or at least from what I personally experienced, it's not something that they feel it's just something they have to do. If you can't find a way to make that personal connection, they've got no problem paying. But sometimes I think it's tough. You know, I look back at, I look back at myself. And realize that if it wasn't for jumping into the Ohio Society as a volunteer because I wanted to expand my network, I don't know that I would have spent enough time reading emails or or watching Facebook videos to understand what the Ohio Society really is doing for me. And it's because I made a decision to want to network that today I'm so passionate about what I know that organization is accomplishing on a daily basis. 
Amen, brother. I mean, it's kind of, I remember when I got involved because I was teaching at Franklin University and I felt like I needed to get involved. And I, I think the same thing. If it wasn't for that, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I was just trying to do it for the students as well as build my network uh, within the state. And, and I, over the years, I think I did, I did a very great job of doing that. I just met some wonderful people, but it gets frustrating from those who do are, are, are active and from those who don't read emails or don't get involved. And, and But then you ask, well, why are they members? And a lot of the, a lot of the feedback I get is, is like from an AICPA level. I've heard some AICPA members say that the reason they keep their memberships for the insurance, uh, which I find really amusing to some degree, but is life insurance. And I, I hear some that say that I just want to, you know, make sure that I'm still in the know, or I, I, I'm, I take it for the cheaper CPE, and. I used to look at there's much more to that organization than just that. But I might have been, just like as you said, I might have been one of those folks if I hadn't thrown my, thrown my hat in the ring and, and jumped two feet and became a volunteer. I mean, and that's absolutely true. I, I mean, sometimes we're, and we're wavering on how to sell, you know, and sell such a bad word, but how to sell the organization because I can tell anybody that's a CPA that needs CPE that the Ohio Society provides 12 hours free a year and just for your, just for paying your membership dues. And if you look at the cost of CPE, that pays for that pays for itself. I mean, you've officially paid for your membership if you take all 12 CPE hours. The organization is doing so much more. And, you know, we've got the advantage of, of being a sizable state and, and having a heavy membership for the Ohio Society. So I think you'd never know if you don't take the time to sit and listen or, or read an article. But Ohio, from a business and tax perspective, especially at the Ohio Society CPAs, is not only playing in Ohio. I mean, they really are and do have a national presence. And, and it's just, it's an organization I can't speak to accomplishing so much that, that if anybody, an Ohio CPA, not a member, is listening to this, I couldn't encourage them more to do their research and get involved. It's finding, it's finding that value. What value are you bringing to me as a member uh, versus back in the day we were taken? You need to do this. It was kind of like the told model versus now. But when, when you look at the members, you can't. Well, I look at I look at this way. Are we looking at our members as like we're playing checkers or we're playing chess? Because if you think the game of checkers, each piece can move in any direction it wants to. But in checkers, it's a strategic move. So it's almost like that a la carte. I can't, I can't give it one thing to the masses. I have to tailor it to meet those different audiences that I'm trying to appeal to. Absolutely. And it's tough to, and you know, we're seeing it in social media every day today. It's, it's tough to strategize those communications to know that you're getting the right communication to the right member or potential member. And, you know, we're here at Thompson, we're, we're talking about taking on some social media, uh, presence. We have the slightest right now that I manage also myself, uh, but, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we're really talking about bringing in somebody who uh, is an expert at, at aiming social media. And I, that, that just shows you how 
poorly I can speak about this when I say aiming social media, but you know, if we're looking to hire, we do have demographics that fit what we would, what our typical employees are that fit in best here. And I have no idea how to direct that, but you know, that person does, and it's, it's becoming, it's become an incredible expertise that I continue to hear more about and that, that other organizations should definitely be looking into. Exactly. There was some uh, committee meeting the other day. Somebody mentioned that they hired a social media expert intern, and within a twelve-month period of time, their social media activity followers just exploded. It was up uh, like about three hundred percent or something crazy like that. But but if you think about that, there are a lot of conversations being had out in social media. You're just raising your visibility, your your, your presence. Uh, and then, and having a social media strategist for I think all organizations, all businesses to raise their profile, I, it's that's more than likely an, a, a, an investment that would provide great ROI. But a lot of times we go, but I'm not. What, what is it doing? For? I'm not getting. The, I might not be getting sales. I'm not. Might not. How do you measure? But I, I think it's much more than that. The, the, the aspect of just that visibility and and being out in front of people. And when I need something done. And I've been social media. That's the first place I think of, and I'll go to. And that's that's my limit. I, I hate, and I hate to admit, you know, I get asked the question on the survey here and there that I find myself taking. What's your primary news source? And my primary news source is Facebook. And I know I just dated myself there, but <laughs> my primary news source is Facebook. Now, don't get me wrong. The news sources on Facebook are still your ABCs and your CNNs, Fox News, and, and whatever else it is that I might have liked in the past, but I'm not even doing a search. If it's important, it'll show up in my newsfeed. That's interesting. I, uh, I, I used to be a newspaper guy, uh, but then they took them all away, so I, I get my news via some apps that will go out and gather information from a variety of sources to bring it in. And, and, and that's the first thing I do every morning is kind of sift through it, just kind of go through it. But I even, I still have the Wall Street Journal on my app, on my iPad, and I still struggle at times to read through the Wall Street Journal where Harvard Business Review, I, I, I can do that, which is really, that's not like a CPA to say something like that. <laughs> and, and I will be completely honest here. You know, I, I am of the generation, whatever generation that might be, that still likes its news and or does like its news and does like what it reads to be 30 seconds or less. You know, I've really, if you want me to delve into a longer thought process on it, it's got to be something that I become incredibly interested in, in in the first 30 seconds. And in journalism, they call that don't bury the lead. Because the lead gets you to dig in, and oh, I forgot where I was reading this. Don't bury the lead. The lead gets your interest, and the major content has to be with those first three to four paragraphs of that. Because the longer the the longer the article is, they probably won't get to the end, or even or even halfway through. But they'll consume that first three or four paragraphs, and then move on to the next. But if if the lead doesn't attract, then in today's day and age, we're just gonna move to the next. And, and that's kind of like the thought process towards that audience. How are we getting their attention? What's that lead that we need to create and, and, and not bury? 
And and I think you're absolutely right. And I even, you know, a little bit of me even equates that to what I do at work every day. It's it's a jack of all trades. And yes, I need to be a subject matter on some things, but in a lot of cases, it's better that I can speak at a high level about a lot of things. And, you know, and that if I need to dig into something, I will set that time aside or dra- or develop a team here that can help me do so. Exactly. I, I I find that Sundays are the nice quiet time where I can go through and dig deeper in some of the stuff that I, I I put a lot of my articles that I want to read for the for that Sunday out on my Evernote account. So I can just pull them up, sit on the couch, have a cup of coffee and, and read through about an hour, hour or two uh, every Sunday and try to get you know a, a little bit deeper. The one that I still haven't done yet, uh, and I've got a lot of articles on it, is that new intestinal disorder called blockchain. Um, <laughs> I every time I, I I'm starting to begin to understand it, and I need to dig into it deeper. But I, I, I well, that one that one that one kind of yeah. I need to I need to ask a favor then because I have tried, and I still have no idea what it is. I understand what I think it does. I don't know what it is or how it does it. And I've made an effort. So next time we get together. I'm going to ask that you give me a little training and schooling. I, I most certainly will, and that'll be in 2020. <laughs> no, actually, actually uh, I said I was speaking at the National Association of Black Accountants, and one of our colleagues was was doing a session on blockchain. So I, I sat through his hour long session, and I walked out. And went, I think I got it. I, I think I finally kind of understand what they're talking about. So yes, I, I will. I will brush up on it the next time that that we get together. Um, before we wrap up, so let's re- let's re- recap. You're a husband, you're a father, financial controller, volunteer at a variety of organizations. So what do you do if you have any spare time just for you? This time of year, yard work. And the rain has been killing me this year. <laughs> Makes it really tough to get to. And now I'm going to jinx myself with that because we'll have drought the rest of the summer and my yard will be brown, which will even <laughs> frustrate me more. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have I have a passion for a lot of things. It, it's so interesting. I And my friends would probably tell you that uh, my passions for a lot of things last for about a year and a half to two years at a time. Anything with an engine. I am a complete car guy. I have a few and I uh, love to tinker. I don't know that I'm diving into them if I don't know what I'm doing. I do have that hold up, but I do love to tinker with them. And then just, you know, love to be outside. The, the summer's a great time of year. Uh, and just play, play some softball here and there, kind of have slowed down in the past few years from the three to four nights a week of softball and volleyball with, with marriage and a kid. But when I do get a chance to get out, I still love to do so. That's cool. That's great. And it's, I was talking to someone recently and they say in their interview, they ask, what do you do in your spare time? Because basically if they don't do anything, that means, and this is the way it was told to me. And I agree that they don't have an outlet and anymore. We need an outlet. Uh, uh, a place that we can get rid of that stress so it doesn't continually build up, build up, build up. And uh, I, I applaud you uh, on so many accounts. Um, I, I'm so proud of, of what you've accomplished. But the cool thing is, I'm going to be around to watch you do even more. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward, and I'm not going to jinx it, but I truly believe, I'm, but I will put it on the record. 
that I believe that somewhere in your near future that you may actually be the chair of the Ohio Society of CPAs and run that organization, be the face of that organization for a year. Thank you for that. Um, now that I don't have to publicly speak in front of a room of 400, I'd be much more open to that than uh, than what I might have been when I first joined the board. <laughs> I can fix that for you. I can fix that publicly <laughs> speaking piece to 400 people. And if anybody tells you to look at them naked, don't ever do that. That's the worst piece of advice. <laughs> but but I can help you in that in that realm. I know you can, and we're probably going to uh, we're probably going to need to start that training sooner than later if I uh, plan to reach uh, all the heights I'd like to in, in my working career. We have it on record. I'm going to hold you to it, <laughs> Owen. I can't thank you enough for spending time. Uh, I, I look forward, to, and, and I'll send you an email on on trying to figure out some time uh, between now and the end of August to get together. And um, man. Just keep knocking it out of the park, my friend. Just keep knocking it out of the park. Peter, thank you very much for your time. This has been uh, thoroughly enjoyable, and I, I hope it, it sounds as good to uh, everybody as it, as it did in my head. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I want to thank Owen again for taking time out of his very busy schedule on being a guest on my podcast. As you can tell, listening to our conversation, that Owen is passionate about everything he does and is a great role model for both young and old. I am very proud of him and I'm envious of his drive. In episode nine, my guest is Byron Patrick, who is the managing director at CPA Practice at Network Alliance. He recently presented five sessions at the AICPA Engage Conference on a variety of IT topics, and that is the focus of our conversation. Thank you for listening and begin the process of changing your mindset and getting out of your comfort zone to develop new skill sets to become more future ready. Your call to action is to ask yourself if you can do more to have a greater impact on your career and on your community. Remember, a part of being future ready is being an improviser. Yes, and I'm out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.